From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we talk fading guards, shades of brown, FedEx money, more NFL preseason storylines, and some of our final summer hot shots. Off the field, we tackle a controversial subject, beer drinking with strangers outside. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, are you excited to see the calendar turning and air conditioning bills dropping? I am. I, I love the fall. It's my favorite <laughs> season of the year. Uh, I'm ready for it. Although you're asking me that on a day where it was about 88 degrees yeah. and felt <laughs> like I was living in a in a sauna all day long. So I am looking forward to it. Yes. I am. Uh, I'm waiting for this next electric bill from like last month because I don't think there was a day where my air conditioner was not on. Uh, yeah. Even like on some of those days, I think last week it was it was pleasant. I'm talking like low 70s and our air was still on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the crisper fall air. My air conditioning is on right now. So is my, it is a gross, humid mine too. day yeah. today in Michigan. So, well, why don't we go ahead and quit whining? Why don't we get our show started? We'll stay at home. We'll start with our Guardians week cap, our look back at the last week of Guardians baseball. Guardians were in Splitsville early in the week and ended up in Turd City by the end. In northern Kentucky, the guards split a two-game series with a good Reds team and gave me hope. On Friday, the splits continued in a doubleheader with the Tigers, and I still had hope. But the week ended with two straight losses to Detroit. The guards finished the week 59-66, and 66, six games out of first place, and my hope has been better. Leaving runners on base, giving up first-inning home runs, scoring less than three runs in four different games. Why were the guards such losers this week? It's a, it's a really great question. I thought about, you know, what what's the issue here? Because I don't know. I can't remember. It was last week, the week before, they put up a ton of runs, and they're they're still really up and down. Is Big Nads that important to this lineup? And the answer is yes. Like he he definitely is. Like I love Jose Ramirez. I don't know if he should be hitting in the two hole in in this lineup. So you're this late in the season. And you're tinking around with with lineup stuff, and you're and you're missing probably your best hitter. Oh, and by the way, you guy you traded had a career week. Yeah, good, sweet Jesus. Um, it was brutal to watch this team again struggle at the plate. Where the bottom line is, the stuff and I've said this before, the stuff we loved about this team last year when it came to stringing together hits and how how small ball is, and it's a romantic baseball again, is terribly fucking annoying this year. It's just not going to win you games, no matter who you're playing against. What was the question? What was wrong with the guards this week? Why were the guards such losers this week? <laughs> Definitely the offense was the the main reason. Um, they moved J-Ram into the two-hole, and he immediately started hitting like a two-hole hitter, uh, which was great. He had two hits on every game, but they were singles. That was kind of weird. Um, and then you're basing your power on Cole Calhoun, who is like our age, I think, at this point. Hey, man, he had a bomb uh, this week. He did. I know. I know. I like this yeah, guy. I like this guy a lot. He's way younger than us, too. I like this guy a lot. But when you when you hang your offensive hat on that, uh, not great. So the offense was the problem because I think outside of the one loss in Cincinnati, every game the guards gave up four runs, and most of which occurred in the top of the first inning. Yeah. 
And, and they yep. had all game to come back from it, and they couldn't. They left guys on base, as you mentioned, Gerbs. Uh, the one what was the four to three loss. Inning after inning, they had guys in scoring position with less than two outs and couldn't push anything across. Yeah. One so again, for eleven or something yeah, like that. It was in awful. those games. Something terrible. And and some of them too. We had the guys up that we wanted to be up in that situation, and they just were not situational hitters. So it was it was the offense again, which is you know we're saying the same thing week in and week out and. You know, really, it's it's just an offense full of a bunch of rookies replaced by other rookies and or guys with one year experience. And I think Chuck's right. Uh, you put you put a Josh Naylor in the middle of that lineup and Jay ran back in the three hole. And that changes the that changes the entire flow of that offensive lineup. And we're not going to see that again until next year. It's a strange week in some ways because it wasn't like anybody was truly terrible. Like there were some rough starts for some of the starting pitchers. Like uh, Noah Syndergaard had a rough start, but for the most part, man, if you're giving up four runs a game, you you should be in the game and you should have a shot to win some of those games. And you're right; every time they gave up four runs, they lost. They they couldn't put together even that much offense. But there were still like six guys on the team that hit above 250 this week, and last year that was one of the things that made them successful. If you had six guys or so hitting at least 250 or better, they were winning games to do it this week and to continue to lose, to lose three or four to Detroit. Like there's a sense of like, are these guys given up? Like, is this done? Because those were all winnable games against a beatable team at a time when you need to hold or advance on the twins. And they just didn't do it. I'm almost glad that all those Detroit games were blacked out for me here in Michigan. So I couldn't watch any of them. Like I just kept on checking the scores and uh, being happy that I wasn't forced to watch that stuff. So really, really disappointing week for the guardians moving on central division hospice watch 37 games to go. Is it time to start preparing for the worst for the guardians this season? Yes, that was it. We talked about it last week. This was a week that if you're going to stay in the mix, you had to go four and two, and they promptly went two and four. So um, I think this is it. I mean, you're they might get on a, a bit of a streak, and I'm sure you're about to get to it. This next week doesn't look good. I, I'm a, I'm hard pressed to find a win or two in there uh, with their next two opponents. So yeah, there's seven games under 500 and six games out of first place. Is that right? Something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it last week going into this week, they had to do something like 28 and 15 to end the season, which is not this team to, to get to the kind of that, that 85 win mark. I can't imagine they turn it around. Like they, they just, they're getting at bats now for the young guys. They're getting reps in the field for the young guys. I think this is it. And and let's, they'll probably stay in second place, but Detroit's only a game and a half behind them. Yeah. I, I think it's time to start making plans, <laughs> like get your house in order kind of deal. You know, this this team, when when the injuries happened to the starting pitching and they, the young guys came up, and you realize that they're only going to go as far as, as these guys are taking them. We've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, and then there's kind of like a week like this, right, where it's not like they pitched terrible, but they weren't as dominant right. as they were the week before. Uh, and, and when that happens and this team's not scoring runs, you're riding that wave. They, they don't hit enough home runs. Their relief pitchers don't strike out enough guys. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be – I think we're going to watch like a long, drawn-out, slow – Oh, this and, is going to be sad. painful death knell. <laughs> I, I still think they're going to compete and, and all that, but but 
you know, we we talked about last week. They're they're four, they were four and a half games back, and they had six left against the Twins, and they can still make a move. But you know, you asked that question: Is this last week? Is this week really important? And, and yeah, and and they're not even winning games in their division against a team they should win against. So I still think it'll be okay, and we can watch it and be enjoyable. But it's it's just still going to be up and down. They're going to surprise us some weeks and be absolutely putrid the next. That's interesting. So Chuck is saying that. Yes, it's time to start making preparations for end of yeah. life for yeah. the Guardians. But at the same time, they might bounce back in like a week and make us think that they're going to be okay. I don't like a glimmer. That. They're giving us some glimmers of hope. They rally there, a but, little bit, right? Yeah, like but towards at the, the end, end of life. Yeah, at the a little end bit of, of a rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. Well, shit. The Dodgers come to the land for three starting tomorrow, followed by a weekend series in the land of moose and maple syrup, Toronto against the Blue Jays. Scale of one to five, one being arm wrestling baby Charlie, five being <laughs> arm wrestling Cole Calhoun. How tough is it going to be to get four wins this week? Oh, man. man, this is an over-the-top Stallone situation in arm wrestling here. It's got to be above a five. I'm going to say uh, it's it's probably closer to a six or a seven. Like Stallone's putting the hat backwards at this point and, and gearing up to break your arm. So that's where we're heading. God. That sounds terrible. Didn't that happen in over the top? It did. It did. Yeah. 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 Classic. Absolutely. (laughs) Four wins out of those six games. It's a Tom Burke seven uh, for sure. Unless this is the week that uh, is the, the end of life rally where they surprise everybody just to shit the bed the following week. I I guess there's some glimmer of hope there, but I don't know. I see one in five, two and four, maybe. It's not looking like a great week, uh, especially if, they play with the level of intensity and desire that they showed last week. Uh, I think you're probably right. This could be two wins max, maybe. And if they managed to, to play 500, I think we'd be impressed. But it feels like this Guardian season is going to end in disappointment. And it'll be an interesting question when we look back on it once it's over about why it ended up being so disappointing. You know, because I think there's a lot of injury stuff. And I think Chuck is kind of hitting on the idea that maybe the way they want to play offense just isn't sustainable. We'll see. But let's talk about something that is 100% sustainable. The Cleveland Browns, 13 Shades of Brown, our 13-week preview for the Browns 2023 season. The 23-1, and 22 straight wins Super Bowl season is ruined, and it's all Cade York's fault. Browns kissed the proverbial sister last week with an 18-18 tie against the Eagles. Cade York's otherwise pretty nice night took a proverbial dump when he missed two straight field goals that would have won the game. From the land, lie detector. After the game, Cade York said confidence will never be his problem. The lie detector says... Uh, the lie detector says that's a that's a lie and uh, perhaps self-awareness is really his problem. yeah that's a total absolute lie but what else is that poor bastard gonna say when there's a bunch of cameras in his face and already the season is pinned on him apparently uh and why they're gonna underachieve in in the preseason it's all his fault so uh but yeah he he definitely a lie i'm gonna say he's telling the truth but i'm gonna say that's the problem um maybe (laughs) you shouldn't quite be so confident and maybe you should be focused a little bit more on, I don't know, getting better. Probably not fair to say that, but it's a shame. He had a few good kicks that night, and then he comes down to that play. He's 
near the end and it doesn't work out for him. Oh, well, hopefully it's just preseason. Let's talk about some more exciting things for the Browns. Let's talk about wide receivers. Current wide receivers in camp who actually have a shot to make the team. Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, Marquise Goodwin, although he, we're probably not going to see that guy because he's got like a blood clotting issue. That doesn't seem like something that mixes well with football. Hakeem Grant, but he's probably just going to be returning kicks. Cedric Tillman, David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, and camp breakout star Austin Sexual Chocolate Watkins. <laughs> yeah. Is this the most improved group on this team? From what we're seeing from a depth issue, yeah, because it's not like I'm seeing a whole lot of those starters. I'm, I am pleasantly surprised with, I think Tillman's going to be a solid NFL player. And yeah. Austin Watkins, a former USFLer who comes in here and dares them to cut him. I don't know how that guy does not make the team. Uh, he's had gonna a, get to un- it. Yeah, he's had an unreal camp. So is that the best group? Possibly, because I'm seeing a lot more of them but I have to reserve judgment till actual game start because if he makes a team, who knows if he even sees the field. I'm interested to see the because they really revamped that D line. I'm interested to see there if that's the best group that they made the most changes to. But right now, you got to feel pretty good about these wide receivers, at least the ones who are playing and not starting when the season starts. I'd give the wide receiver group the nod as best improved because it was dog shit last year. So there was a lot of room for improvement. And now you've got all this depth. And you're seeing these guys in preseason anyway, um, the guys that you didn't know much about play really well. I mean, you haven't seen and you won't see Cooper on the field until games count. And, you know, DVP hasn't played a ton um, or DPJ. I don't know where I just came up with those. DVP is good, though. I like (laughs) it. Wow. (laughs) The MVG of the team. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it is a very improved group from a depth standpoint, when we've got some young guys and the addition of Elijah Moore, we're like, all right, we've got some dynamic wide receivers too. Uh, Tillman looks good. And if this, if this Watkins makes the roster, even if they hide him, kind of like, all right, you're, you're playing special teams. That guy goes out there and just catches the ball and runs forward all the time. I, I think guys like uh, Bell and, and certainly Schwartz are starting to look over their shoulder a bit. It's between the wide receivers and the D line. And I just think you've got improvement from Amari Cooper being with the team for another season. He gets all this offseason time with Deshaun Watson. Donovan Peoples-Jones is heading into that year where you'd expect him to really have a breakout, and he had a good season last year. Elijah Moore adds something. Tillman, I think, adds something. I don't know about Bell and Schwartz, but Sexual Chocolate has just continued to be impressive. And I know that we're not seeing all these guys in games. But if you are ever on X or Threads or Instagram or Facebook, you're seeing clips from camp of these guys making plays. Like the throws Watson has been making the last few weeks in practice to Cooper have been amazing. And I get it. It's practice. We're talking about practice. But uh, it's it still seems like there's a lot of improvement there. So I think that's pretty exciting. Now, most teams keep six wide receivers. That means only one of the Bell Schwartz sexual chocolate group is going to make the team. How would you handle this glut at the bottom of the wide receiver room? I would cut Schwartz tomorrow morning. (laughs) Then it's between Bell. Man, I don't know. When did we draft Bell? It was like a second round pick two years ago, something like that. Like he, yeah. 
So that that's a little scary knowing our front offices, you know, what they do historically where they're, they're not real quick to cut guys. They draft. Yeah. One of those guys, can you, can you get them through waivers and out of the practice squad? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the way Watkins is playing. Someone's picking that dude up to play special teams and, and be their yeah. fourth wide receiver. Right. So I think it comes down to bell and Watkins. Uh, maybe you line them both up next week out in Kansas city with Deshaun taking some snaps and see what happens. Pretty good plan. I think we're all in agreement here. Schwartz should not be on the team and you just cut bait. The guy, what we thought he was is not, um, I think Bell is like, I think Stefanski loves him. And I really like that pick because he was an unbelievably great receiver in college. But there's times he looks kind of slow in the NFL. Yeah. And and Austin Watkins does not. Watching him, I know he had an, a great week. I understand that. But watching him in this preseason, he reminds me so much of a very healthy Jarvis Landry. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, unbelievably yeah. healthy version of him. Yeah. <laughs> like he runs one we routes, never saw. Yeah. He runs routes like him, the way he goes to the ground before he gets hit like land. Like, and, and to me, I, I hope just the, the best player is going to make this team. It doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, obviously, where they drafted people. But if it comes down to those two, and you're going to cut one of them, neither of them are going to see our practice squad. Somebody no. would, would pick either of those guys up. Yeah. So, what Phil's saying is probably true. Like you get them both a ton of reps this week and then you got to make a decision. And that's, a, I guess it's a good one to have, but that's a, that's a tough one, man, because right now I, I'd lean towards Watkins just because he's played so well. It's so hard to, to go with that guy. Cause he's so out of nowhere. You don't know really is this guy at the level to compete week in and week out in the NFL. But I feel like, you know, Schwartz isn't, like, I was surprised. I think he had a fumble in the first game of the preseason. I'm surprised they didn't cut him then. Like, all right, dude, enough is enough. We've given you chances. Now it's done. And Bell just, I don't know, man, he disappeared last year. And never even saw him playing much last season. He barely got on the field. Like, what's going on with that guy that was such a high pick? I don't know. It's a good problem to have, I think, to have tough choices with backups like this. But you better get it right. You know, if one of those three guys is going to be productive this year, you better guess right. Uh, and I don't think it's Schwartz. I don't see why we'd think it's Bell. We've never seen Bell do what we've seen Watkins do in the preseason. So as strange as it is to rely on an undrafted dude that nobody's ever heard of that played in the USFL, I think maybe I want sexual chocolate too. like Because I just don't have any belief in those other guys. So... Uh, but it's a good problem to have. This is the type of thing that I think good teams have to deal with that the Browns normally don't. So I'm excited that uh, at least it looks like Deshaun Watson is going to have some weapons to throw to. So we are going to wrap up this segment right there on a high note with our Cleveland Browns. We're going to come back. We're going to talk some Women's World Cup and some FedEx golf and some football and some other stuff. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. Let's head out on the road. Women's World Cup. Spain defeated England 1-0 to win the cup. So, what's your favorite Spanish food? Gazpacho or paella? Uh, paella. Gazpacho is a cold soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say neither. I don't like oh, either gosh. of those options. Paella is good. <laughs> Ugh. 
And I guess I'd go with gazpacho because it's like so hot and humid right now. So maybe a nice cold soup would be perfect. <laughs> a cold, but, soup. Cold, yeah. soup. cold, refreshing soup. <laughs> nice tall glass of gazpacho. Anyway, congrats to Spain on winning the biggest sporting event in the world. But we need to move on. Let's talk some golf. FedEx Cup playoffs, a wild weekend at the BMW Classic that saw different leaders at the end of each round. Scotty Scheffler scorched Olympia Fields with a six-under third round to start the final round in the lead, but the tournament ends with Victor Hovland tearing apart the final nine holes, finishing with a 61 and outlasting Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick to get the win at 17-under. Next week is the finals, the Tour Championship at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta. In order, the top five FedEx leaders right now are Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, and Soggy Pants Lucas Glover. John Rahm was number one heading into the playoffs and has crapped all over the place the last two weeks. Can he put it together and win this thing? If not, who do you think it's going to be? I hope so, because don't I have him? Don't I? You do. <laughs> is it, yeah. is he yeah. on my squad? I think your number one pick. Yeah, John Rombaldo needs to get his shit together. <laughs> I, I think he can. He's he's had a great season, except for the last last two weeks. If it's not him, though, Scheffler seems to be, again, playing unbelievable golf, slow and steady all season long, so I assume it would be him. But obviously, I would, I would like my guy to win. I think I want my guy to win, don't I? I, I think I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And don't I have Scheffler? <laughs> I think I yeah. have Scheffler. Yeah. You do. Yeah. So I think Rom continues to, uh, you know, shit the bed and Scheffler pulls through. I'm going to go with my guy as well. Like the one guy who has been at the top in each of the tournaments the last two weeks is Rory McElroy. He just can't quite get over the hump and win the thing. But I think he finished in the top five both weeks. Sounds familiar. Yeah. I know. I know. That's yeah. the problem is I feel like he's <laughs> been finishing in the top five for yeah. two straight seasons. But McElroy has been playing the most consistent golf of all those guys at the top, and that should be something that puts him into a position to win the whole damn thing. More importantly than the actual tournament, how about our FedEx Cup fantasy standings? A new leader this week, Team Chuck, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, and Byung Hun An brought in three million eight hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars this week behind victor hovland and not much else (laughs) chuck now has a total of about 4.3 million he has a four hundred thousand dollar lead over team miller max homa patrick cantalay kurt kitayama that team brought in another 1.2 million miller sitting right at about 3.9 so far for the playoffs in third place team denko Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Seamus Powers. That team brought in 2.4 million, even though Seamus Powers finished second to last in the whole tournament. I saw that. (laughs) Danko now has 2.7 million and an $18,180.71 lead over (laughs) Team Gerber, Rory, Ricky, and Thigala. We're consistent. We won another 1.5 million this week. It's just about what we did last week. 2.7 million total. Who are you counting on to bring home victory for your team next week? Uh, not Seamus Powers. No, um, he's out, by the way. None yeah, of our, he, none of our he, long he shots not, made, it the, made it to the finals. Yeah. 
I'm just glad I'm in seven figures. I was on the low six figures going into going into the week. So uh, I, I think um, I mean it's got to it's. I can't think of his name. I just said it out loud before my leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, Scheffler. Yeah. And I, I had Scheffler and Shoffley on the same yeah. team, don't I? It's very you do. hard yeah. mixing in my brain those two names. <laughs> I almost said like Schaffer. <laughs> Let's go with both of them. Schaffer. Okay. <laughs> Chef. It's rough to win back-to-back weeks. So uh, as much as I'd like to see uh, Hovland, I think it's I think you shit all over my man, Rom. And this is a big time player. And I'm hoping that he puts his nuts on the table and and plays really well this week. So that's who I'm counting on. I need Ricky Fowler to do something because the winning numbers for this final tournament are so huge that if your guy doesn't win the whole thing, you really need your second guy to finish well to rack up enough money to take over what the top guy did. So I'm I'm counting on Rory to just do what he's been doing. I need Ricky to step up and get into that top five and hopefully get me some extra money that way. So come on, Rory and Ricky. Uh, Thigala, he went home, didn't do the job. All right, let's move on. NFL storylines for the preseason and hot off the presses just announced this evening. The Colts granted running back Jonathan Taylor the right to seek a trade. Taylor is in the final year of his rookie deal. He had 861 yards on the ground in 11 games last year after back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but he wants a long extension. What can the Colts get back in a trade for this guy? Didn't they say they wanted a first-rounder back for him? I know that's what they said they wanted. Yeah. <laughs> but but well, Realistically? Reality check time. <laughs> yeah, what are they getting? The same franchise who gave the Browns a first-round draft pick for Trent Richardson. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Realistically, a, a third at best, right? If they're going to shell out some – somebody's going to shell out a, a contract. Not, I don't know if it's as big as they want, but – I'd say you're ahead of the game if you get a third rounder back for a, a, a running back who's replaceable. I think uh, his surgically repaired ankle that didn't allow him to pass a physical in Indianapolis might be a problem given the position he plays. So that's going to be an interesting piece. You know, I can't imagine that's public knowledge. So it's not like, oh, yeah. hey, here's our first or second round pick to get this guy that was awesome two years ago and three years ago. He's an amazing talent if he's healthy. But in today's NFL, I'm thinking, all right, do we get a third and maybe they throw in a couple fifth-round picks just to sweeten the deal? I don't think it's anything higher than a third, even if he's healthy. Because maybe he's just, like, faking the ankle thing because he doesn't want to play for the Colts anymore. Like, that's something. But even if he's healthy, he's at the end of that rookie deal. He wants more years, and I think that's going to be the biggest problem. Who's going to trade for this guy and, and sign him to that type of deal? And in the process of the trade, give up something really valuable. Like this sounds like a third or a fourth or something like that. And you're getting a pick back. Like this is one of those deals where you give us Taylor and an eighth and we'll give you like a fourth and a fifth or something like that. And that's like, that's, I think the most you're getting from, I just don't think. Especially since there's seven, seven rounds. Of yeah. An eighth doesn't hold a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> are, are there only seven rounds? Yeah, there so. are. It's like 1982 again. We'll give you a 14th <laughs> We got an eighth. There is no eighth. 
<laughs> oh, those guys in Indianapolis have no idea what they're doing. All right. 2023 from the land pants on fire index, which head coach is on the hottest seat right now. Brandon Staley coach of the chargers 19 and 15 in three seasons. Can't get anything done in the playoffs. Ron Rivera 22 and 27 in Washington also has a new owner who may want to make a change. Todd Bowles in Tampa Bay. He was eight and nine last year, but he made the front office mad by purposefully winning a game at the end of the year and ruining their draft position. Last one, hear me out. Bill Belichick, losing seasons two of the last three, haven't made it past the wild card since 2018. That's also the last time they won the Super Bowl. So which coach is on the hottest seat right now? I think the hottest hot seat is our, um, my boy Staley out in, in L.A., fellow Flyer alum, by the way, um, because he's got all the talent. That that team should be winning, and it just isn't. It's uh, barely above 500, and I think if he doesn't produce or that team doesn't produce this year, he's probably uh, shown the door. I listen to different sport talk radios at different times this week, and the talking point is Bill Belichick's on a hot seat. That's insane. I thought I came up with that myself. Oh, I, I haven't even heard anything. Yeah, Damn it. no, I heard. Oh, like, I hate to be like commit, everybody else. Like straight half hour segments about it. I'm like, are they serious? Like they're going to cut bait. I could see it there. I could see that happening because the terrible decisions, like not having an offensive coordinator last year. <laughs> oh, we'll figure this out. <laughs> and then the year before that, wasn't a defensive coordinator their offensive coordinator? Didn't they bring like Matt Patricia back? Yeah. To their yeah. Yeah. So I can understand that, but Phil's, Phil's right here. It's Staley because that roster is loaded with talent. And I know there were some key injuries last year to wide receivers and, and one of their running backs, but um, you have a, a great young quarterback who might be a top five guy in this league. Uh, you got to the playoffs and then they, they blew a huge lead, right? And then they blow like a 20 some point lead to lose yeah. a game. Uh, so, yeah, I would assume his uh, pants are on fire at this point. He's the one who would be first out the door. I will say this. I think if Bill Belichick was in charge of determining whether Bill Belichick should have a job, Bill Belichick would fire Bill Belichick. He'd be like, hey, man, we got to we gotta get out of this before it gets bad, like he does with all of his players, man. Cuts them a year or two early. But I actually think it's Rivera. I think this Washington team is bad. I think they're in a really tough division. and. They don't have a real good answer at quarterback, and they've got a new owner. And I think new owners like to do things like fire head coaches. That looks to me like a team that's ready for some sort of big reset and rebuild, and that usually means the end of end of the road for a coach. So it's not like he's been great there anyway, 22 and 27. So I think Rivera might not make the whole season if they start losing early. Moving on, let's talk about some win totals. Do you want the over or the under? First one, Ravens, 10 and a half wins. I'll take the under. Yeah, I guess I'll go under, but barely. That's not, that, that feels like a 10-win team to me. I know. This one's really hard. I think it's under, too, in, in part because just the division's going to be really tough, I think. Um, you got to play some good teams in the division multiple times. Next one, Falcons, eight and a half wins. They're really, they're really set up to be bad. I'll, I'll take the under. I think the over, I think they, they make a step this year. That's a weak division. I think we it talked is. about it last week, so I'm just yeah. going to say they'll go over. 
I'm going over because it's the exact opposite of our division. Like, oh, the division sucks. They'll be able to get <laughs> nine wins out of there. You know, they'll do okay. All right, next one. How about the Kansas City Chiefs? 11 and a half. 17 games. I, I'm going to take the over, but but again, just barely. I think it's a 12-win team. I'm going to take the over, too. Just the pedigree and the track record says this team is going to win games, uh, and I wouldn't bet against them. 11 and a half seems low to me. This 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 team wins 13 games or 12 games or something like that. Like I, Chiefs are really good, so I'll take the over on that one. Last one, one of the ones we're going to keep an eye on all year because I think Russell Wilson sucks. Denver, eight and a half wins. Ugh. I'm gonna, ew. I'm gonna take the over. I don't know. I have no idea why because it's not like he's played any better in the preseason. But I'll take the over. Eight and a half wins. New coach. Possibly shitty Russell Wilson. I, I'll take the over. I'll take the over. Their, their division isn't great. I mean, they got a really well. Yeah, they got two really good teams ahead of them. Um, but yeah, they'll finish with nine wins. Under, under. I would have taken the under if it was two and a half. Denver's <laughs> going to be terrible. All right, let's move on. Let's get into some summer hot shots. Our hot takes from around the sports world. After the BMW Classic this week. Brooks Kepka no longer had enough points to qualify for an automatic spot on the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Is that disrespectful to the venerable Live Golf Tour? The venerable? <laughs> it's a great word, but uh, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's disrespectful if you're not playing really well. Obviously, you want your best players representing your country. So, no, I'm not going to say it's disrespectful. Was there some sort of like exchange rate with points in this live to PGA no, thing? There like was no, was that? that was no, the thing. Right, right, that was the thing. He just right. gets no credit for his live yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. So no, man, he made his decision and now he's not going to be on the Ryder cup team. If you were the captain of the Ryder cup team, would you pick Brooks Kepka as one of your like at large selections, man? So I guess I would look only at his competition against the PGA field right so in the in the big tournaments and he's not done well oh he no he was like second in the masters the well he had a good so, masters. yeah all right the rinky dink masters <laughs> way to go blind squirrel finds a nut brooks kepka just above the cozar <laughs> cup the masters Jeez, yeah seriously <laughs> let's see how you do on a on, on a course where they let you wear jorts <laughs> um so i'm well all kidding aside, like that's what you look at, right? Like, you only look at his competition against yeah. the rest of the PGA field, and and then you make your decision. If you feel like his strong finish in the Masters gets him a spot, then you put him on the team. If he didn't finish that strong in the other tournaments, and then he went out to make more money and play against lesser competition, you leave him off. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, only because I'm plead ignorance to see who, who else is in that pool that would deserve at large bids or or could make that roster. The guy who got enough points to push him out was Shoffley. So those, there's your guys who yeah. are like in that zone of are right. they making it or not? And and yeah. Shoffley is one of the guys that automatically makes it now. So the, those are the guys that that <laughs> yeah. kind of level. Yeah, the, like the line, Max Homas, the, yeah. like guys like that, consistently playing really well this season. Yeah. So so I don't know if it's di disrespectful. That guy is been a good golfer for for a pretty long time but I, I don't know you know like Ryder Cup like that that's different animal when it comes to golf and maybe if he's a better match play guy or he has that history of it then it might be disrespectful I just don't know enough about 
his game other than his history. And he's been a pretty solid golfer for a pretty long time. So is it disrespectful? Maybe, but is it like a, you know, like a field of dreams, like Ty Cobb, nobody liked him anyway. So we told him to f-ing stick it. Maybe, maybe that's it. I don't, I don't know. I actually think that is it. I think they might leave him off because he's kind of a douche. We'll see. All right. Manny Ramirez inducted into the Guardians Hall of Fame this weekend. What's your favorite Manny moment from his time in Cleveland? Maybe um, it doesn't speak to, to his talent because he's beyond talented. But wasn't there a time where that guy was hitting seventh in this lineup? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so maybe that's my favorite, that this team was so freaking loaded that that this guy was hitting seventh i mean other than that like just the you know like 20 years later manny being manny still resonates so maybe those are my favorite moments because he seems yeah. super absent-minded at times uh that that kind of stuff that he didn't maybe he didn't take everything as seriously as people wanted him to and i i, I think i like that about him the most my favorite manny moment in cleveland um i don't know other than uh, he's probably the best not probably. He is the best right-handed hitter we've seen don the uniform for right sure. here yeah. in, in town, without a doubt. Uh, power numbers, hit for average. You know, I think the Manny being Manny thing really focused on his his defense and his base running. I think he really took hitting seriously because he knew what he was. Like, he really yeah. worked hard at hitting by all accounts. So I, I guess my favorite moment is we saw a guy at a, a really young age break into the big leagues and immediately become the best right-handed hitter in that lineup. Even if he was batting seventh or eighth uh, early in his career or four, I think we saw him for eight seasons. So yeah. something, something special. Best single moment was the home run off of Eckersley. Yeah. Like in his yeah. rookie year. I mean, that was, that was a moment, man. That was when that team felt absolutely unstoppable that even Manny at number seven was going to take the best reliever in baseball deep to win a game. That was pretty cool. Uh, Least favorite was watching him in the playoffs for the Red Sox when they played against the Indians slash guardians. And the dude would never swing at a ball outside of the strike zone. Not even an inch. He would take it. He'd always take it. He'd get his strike and then he'd kill us. Least favorite moment. All right. Moving on, fellas, we're going to close out this segment right there. Congratulations to Manny Ramirez and making the Guardians Hall of Fame. I don't believe he's making any others, but we are (laughs) going to end it. We're going to move on. We're going to come back, head off the field after our final break and talk about beer. He might make Boston's Hall of Fame, but not the yeah, Major League right. Baseball yeah. Hall of Fame. Not going to make the Major yeah. League Baseball Hall of Fame, that's for sure. Even though he All should. right, I'm going to go Talk grab up. my beer. Yeah, yeah I'm going to grab mine's. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We're going to head off the field. And if I know anything about you two mopes, it's that you love beer and outdoor festivals. So let's talk beer fests. This weekend, My Little Town hosted its summer festival, Suds on the Shore, and more than 1,500 people came out for a day of good music, good beer, and good times. In Ohio alone, there are more than 50 beer festivals a year. The biggest beer festival in the world, naturally, is Oktoberfest in Munich, Germany. In the U.S., the Great American Beer Festival in Boulder, Colorado, holds the honor of having the most beer consumed at a single event in the United States. So in honor of our topic for tonight, we decided to go outside of our normal beer drinking routine. So what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a new Belgium Voodoo Ranger Fruit Force. Uh, All cards on the table. I hate IPAs. I am a (laughs) lager guy. 
I am a very, I actually, you know, I enjoy natural light. I enjoy bush light. I enjoy Bud Light. I I, I like those kind of beers. So uh, I thought I'd go with uh, a fruit punch IPA because it would kill the, the hoppiness of it. And it actually kind of does. Uh, it's All sweet, right. but it's not too sweet. I don't know if I could, it's nine and a half percent. That scares me. It's a big boy, so I don't know if I would do more than one because it might turn my stomach, but pleasantly surprised that uh, better than I expected. I am drinking a beer called Wake and Shake from a brewery called Tripping Animals Brewing Company, which is actually out of Doral, Florida, now that I look at this closer. It is part of their, let me get this right, it is part of their Trippy Shake series, their Trippy shakes series yeah so there's more than one for you to check out <laughs> apparently yeah so this is a, a beer uh full disclosure here that my boys chose for me based solely on the design on the can and it's a pretty cool design it is a sour but it's a milkshake style sour i'm not a big fan of sours i've had a couple maybe that were tolerable in my mind I've had some other milkshake like IPAs. They've been all right. It, it, it's kind of like a smooth, they smooth out the, the flavor of the beer. And I got to tell you, this is easily the best sour I've had in, in my memory. Um, not bad at all. So much for Ron Rivera being on the hot seat. Kicker just made a winning field goal, 29-28 with oh, nine boy. seconds left. In Can this we sign that kicker? Crazy preseason game. I am going with Cerveza Del Rey, a Mexican style lager from Brew Detroit a brewery in Detroit, Michigan, I assume. I really like it. Nice, easy. Dropped a lime in here because I feel like that's what you do with uh, Mexican lagers. And uh, it's rim. going down nice and smooth and it's easy drinking and I like it. So what do you think the best time of year is to attend a craft beer festival? Because they have them in the summer. Obviously, the Oktoberfests are a big deal in the fall, but you also have a lot of places that will do them during cold weather months like January and February. So when do you most want to be someplace hanging out, drinking a beer? <laughs> I, I'll lean towards fall. Uh, the biggest beer fest I've ever been to in downtown Cleveland actually occurs in the winter and it's pretty cold, but it's indoors. Uh, but I, I like the fall because you get a little bit of like, all right, you get that crisp air. It, you can still, it's all outside. You feel like you can put away a bunch of beers and it kind of warms you from the inside out. I'm not a big fan of beer fests in the summer just kind of weighs on you a bit i think like i i want to try a bunch of beers and it's hot out and i'm sweating through my t-shirt already i don't know so fall end of fall let's say that there are multiple ones here in erie um one kind of like yours group it's it's beer on the bay um and it's it's outdoor and it's typically like late spring early summer so it's not too hot and you've been cooped up covered in snow oh, for that's months. Nice. And it's like that's one of good. the first events where Sometimes it feels like fall and it depends in Erie. Summer can still be cold here, uh, but you know, it's sunshine, it's outdoor. It's like they do two sessions. I used to like to do the earlier one because there's something still that feels nice about getting a good buzz on like right around noon or one in the afternoon. Uh, and then you can kind of pack it in and be home by like four and, and even out your day. So I like uh, late spring, early summer, cause it's not too hot. It's not humid. It's nothing like that to be outdoors and, and have a few beers. It sounds like that uh, fruity voodoo ranger has got like something caught in your throat, Chucky. You no, are, that's just phlegm. It's affecting your voice. It's <laughs> a chunk just, of fruit. Yeah, it's just a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Sorry, I didn't clear my throat. <clears> oh, <throat> there you go. Um, having just finished the festival this year, the Suds on the Shore, 
I, it was a perfect day for it. We had a great breeze off of Lake Michigan, so it kept everything pretty cool, even though it was like sunny outside the whole time. I really do kind of like the one we do in the winter, though. We have one in February where you're you're entirely outside. You're under like a pavilion downtown. It's cold, man. Like you've got to bundle up. You've got to have gloves. You've got to have like hand warmers and stuff like that in your pockets. And it's kind of fun to be outside in the snow with everybody drinking beer and having a good time. So that one's really great. But I still think I'm going to lean towards the summer. Uh, summer is such a great time. As long as it's not too hot, it, it's a pretty great time to be drinking beer outside. So scale of one to five, one being James Brown. Five being the first President Bush, how funky do you get with your choices of beer at a beer fest? <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning towards the elder Bush. Uh, my palate is um, pretty nondescript. Almost always, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like middle of the road. So um, usually at these, I, I know people like to go to these and just sample multiples. I like to find one that uh my my palate agrees with my stomach agrees with and i just hone in on that uh, and typically now when i used to do a little bit more of these friends in the beer industry like you know when you go to those things they give you like little cups they will give me like a a, a sizable cup and i just kind of hang out at that tent and drink that beer uh, i don't kind of do around the world with that stuff uh, so I, I like to focus in on one that i know i'm going to enjoy and just have that I'm all the way at the hardest working man in the showbiz side of it. I'm I'm at a one. I I when I've gone to these things and I haven't been to one in a while, but when I go to them, it's all about trying anything that someone's going to brew. Uh, you know, I've I've set myself up for success from the beginning by making sure that I have I have Ubered to the event, and oh, yeah. someone just point me towards an Uber on the way home from the event, and we're good to go. Uh, so I, I do like to try a lot of different things. I, I can't remember it. I, I try to stay away from stuff I've already had, to be honest, like when I'm at these things, uh, just to, to check out some other other beers. So I poured for like the biggest brewery in town at this event, and I was shocked how many people came up and asked for the beer that is on tap every day of the entire year from that place. Like, I'm, I'm with you, Phil. Like, I don't want to go to the stuff that's there every Friday and Saturday night if I go out. You know, I want to try different stuff, too. I'm not that funky. Like, I'm not going to get into trying all, like, the weird stouts and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I'm probably going to stick with lagers and IPAs, and maybe I'll try, like, a sour or something like that. But I don't get too funky. So I'm probably, like, a two, two and a half, um, definitely on the James Brown end of the scale, but not nearly as funky as you are phil like i said like i'm usually looking at like ipas and lagers and stuff like that what are you normally looking for if you're at a festival looking for a type of beer to try that part actually depends on the time of year the one in the winter that i went to that it's freezing outside like i i would lean towards more of the ipas and stouts because you're kind of like all right it you know high alcohol content big flavors that kind of thing it's it's cold outside. Um, so other things I've been to in warmer weather, I like a, a good crisp Kolsch. You know, I'm, I have a very eclectic approach to these things. Um, I have learned over the years though, uh, that the order at which you drink these things certainly matters. So oh, yeah. if you drink, if you drink, uh, you know, a 90 minute IPA from dogfish head, let's say, uh, you might not taste anything <laughs> you drink after that. So, uh, you really have to kind of, to look at it that way too, but I guess that depends on the time of year. I don't want I don't want a bunch of heavy IPAs. I don't want a bunch of stouts if it's warm weather beer fest. Uh, but if it's in the winter, I'm all for that. Good, sir. 
point me to your cleanest, <laughs> crispest <laughs> lager. And that's where I'm staying at. That is my wheelhouse. You can keep the IPA. I actually don't mind stouts, uh, certain stouts at any point in the year. But again, if, you, if you're if you at one of these things, and for me, it's not about sampling. It's about just sticking to one. It's usually going to be a lager. I like the different strategies we have for these things. I think that's funny that Chuck just goes and finds the one beer that he likes <laughs> and pounds that one all day long. <laughs> all right. So if you're in the mood to expand your palate, I say check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting on September 22nd, where some of your options might be, and feel free to choose which one you think is the best. Joe's Cherry Preserve, barrel-fermented fruit beer with Montmorency cherries, Buckwas, the Wild Man of the Woods, a 16% bourbon barrel-aged imperial Ooh. stout from Bombastic Brewing in Hayden, Indiana. Next one, Cloudy with a Chance of Charcuterie, a 7% God. hazy IPA <laughs> with Citra, Mosaic, Apollo, and Milk Sugar from Free Will Brewing in Percasey, Pennsylvania. Is that near you, Chuck? No. I don't know where that's at. All right. It's a big uh, state. <laughs> last one, Flanders Redux, a sour with a deep auburn color and a thin blanketed caramel on top of ripened black cherries from True Anomaly Brewing in Houston. So, which one of those are you jumping on? I I heard bourbon and beer, and that's typically what I'm doing when we're recording this uh, from the Neil Hayden Brewery, wherever that was at. Uh, so, uh, that would be the one that I'd, I'd be super into. Buckwas, the wild Buckwas. man of the woods. Hell yeah, that's me. Bill? I'm going with the uh, cloudy with a chance of charcuterie, I think. I, that, that was a... It was an IPA, but kind of like a hazy IPA with the, the yep. milk sugar in it. So it kind of smooths it out. I'm 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 down to try that out. That was gonna be my choice too. The the cloudy with a chance to charcuterie. I I do like hazy IPAs. Not sure about the milk sugar, but hopefully they wouldn't explain to me that that was in it before they gave me my four ounce sample. <laughs> uh, I do think Chuck is making the classic beer festival mistake and going with a 16 percent <laughs> beer oh. man like you can't do that all day in the sun in the cold ever man that that's gonna get you messed up it's not all about the beer what kind of food are you always hoping to find at a beer festival you need a good a good combination of uh charcuterie really uh, you need a good combination of like meats cheeses some pretzels some salty you know bread type thing what, what, I don't think they do this anymore in Cleveland. One of the best brew fests I've been to in Cleveland, they would cater it by uh, Heinen's grocery stores and by Winking Lizard Tavern. So you would have like these small little sandwiches, like, you know, one hand, you got your sandwich, you could eat it. Your other hand, you got your beer you're drinking, right? They would have pretzels. They would have meat and cheese. So it's a good variety, something you can, you can eat with one hand while not letting go of your four ounce glass in the other hand. I'm going to be honest here. Like when I used to do these things, I would eat beforehand because I'm there to drink beer. <laughs> so if it's anything I'm interested in snacking on while I'm there to try to even out, I hope there's like a hunk of bread somewhere that that'd be fine by me. Here's a loaf of bread. Yeah. yeah just <laughs> it's a full loaf of Italian bread. I'd be just eat the innards of it. I'd be great with that. Um, because I always, I always find it humorous and you witness it probably this week that people wear like, pretzel necklaces and stuff yep. like that and and i get it it's part of the experience but but for me I'm, I'm pretty much just there to get down to business so i'm eating a lot beforehand uh, and then just getting after it i'm gonna go with barbecue 
doesn't necessarily fit the hey you've got to be able to hold on to it while you hold your glass but you could do like barbecue like little barbecue sandwiches and sliders and stuff like that yeah, there you go but there's something really good about being like halfway buzzed off of a bunch of beer and just getting to eat like a plate of brisket like that's that's not that's not heaven i don't know if it, i think it's heaven but it's pretty damn close that would be pretty good all right <laughs> so should we be considering a beer festival for one of our yearly trips in the coming years? Isn't it already a beer festival? I mean, I've been a part of a few of these and it seems like we all do a pretty nice job that the, the beer snobs in the group, and I mean that lovingly, bring the kind of beers that I would never try. And then there's Guys like me who bring the sipping beers that, that you can kind of just enjoy. So it feels like every guy's trip is a beer festival. But are you saying we, we should go to one? I'd be up for that because we've never been to something like that as a big group. Like we, we've been to plenty of bars and, and stuff like that. But for us to all, that could get weird though, for us to all be outdoors <laughs> uh, drinking beer out of goblets, uh, that, that I'd be up for it. But I think some of us would have to be carried home because that's actually happened on certain trips of ours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to say this is a great idea, but it's not, it's really not. <laughs> this is, this is not a good idea. It, it would be fun. We got a sampling of it last year when we were at Oktoberfest. Uh, that's down true. In yeah. City. That's yeah, true. Yeah. We did. Yeah. 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 It didn't and, end and well. No, it did <laughs> not. Home with a it sign. Did not. <laughs> we got signs on the way home. We lost a couple people. Someone, someone got a, got in a car that I don't even think was theirs. Who knows? But, uh, I, I, I don't see that ending well because we, we're so giddy when we're together. We're just going to drink a bunch of 16% yeah. beers and think it's okay, and it's just not okay. That's it for that. <laughs> Cross that off. Thank you guys for both ruining the bit. All right, moving on. Uh, beer festivals are fantastic. I think we should do one together someday. It might be a lot of fun. Maybe it doesn't have to be the whole crew because that could get dangerous, but we'll see. Why don't we close the book on beer and talk a little bit of winning time? Story of the rise of the 80s Lakers dynasty as told by HBO. Episode three came out last night. Best part of that episode, the Larry Bird origin story, the Jim Jones rant, Coach Westhead running the organization like an overly aggressive cousin Greg. <laughs> last one, Bird only having Budweiser to offer Red Arbach when he comes over to his house. All those are great options, and I'm a huge Jim Jones fan in this in this series. Obviously, one of the best quotes again this past week. But yeah. I I think getting the Larry, I really liked how they did the Larry Bird um, origin story, kind of the backstory where they, you know, the the way it was filmed too, where it's like the film's rolling and it kind of goes back to the year and you see what's going on there. That was pretty cool. I actually had to fact check some of the stuff because I was watching this. I'm like, man, I I remember Larry Bird's entire professional career. And it was at a time where social media didn't exist. I'm like, I don't remember some of these details, like his father committing suicide, that kind of thing. Yeah. And all that was true. Him playing in jeans at Indiana State, you know, also true, right? Like those. Oh, kind of wow. Things. I would yeah. have never thought that seemed yeah. was true. All that was true. So I really enjoyed that. And that was something that I, I think, Chuck, you had mentioned coming into this season that you were looking forward to more Larry Bird backstory. I think we got it pretty well in episode three there. I'm, I'm with Phil here. To me, this episode was a masterpiece because it was a villain origin story that made you feel empathy for him. Yep. And all it left me saying is it's so different from the Showtime era and what Magic Johnson is. 
I am now more interested in the Celtics 80s run because it's more me. It's more blue collar. It's more in your face where the other stuff is all flash in that. I didn't think I would be sympathetic because they set him up as a villain this entire time to him, but I was hoping there would be more. And they did. They delivered more throughout the episode about him and his family. And I, I didn't know that he went to Indiana and left. I, you know, I had no oh, yeah. idea. You know, I had no idea that they drafted him and he wasn't going to play. And then, you know, like that, that the commish came in and gave this unbelievably great rousing speech uh, for him to say so I'm, i i left that episode being more fired up for the celtics than i did the lakers <laughs> for me it was the jim jones rant that dude said Fuck a whole bunch of times in a short period of time that was that was pretty great all right how many more episodes do you think coach westhead has leading the lakers my, my hope is not many um because jason is a seagull is that how you pronounce his last name whoever's playing westhead yeah He's doing a really great job, but what's starting to get to me, like physically making me uncomfortable are like his dead eyes throughout the last episode. Like there's a whole lot of nothing and he's becoming very, very, he's doing a wonderful job if I'm hating him that much and I'm starting to really hate him. Uh, so I think it's starting to, obviously it came to a head in this episode uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see, even if it's fabricated a little bit on how he is pushed out and Riley comes to power, because obviously after seeing this episode, you know, like oh, this is going off the rails. This guy is, thinks he's yeah. more important than he truly is to this organization. So I'm thinking maybe uh, one or two, you know, by by the halfway point of this season, I'm assuming that guy's gone. I like how Chuck said it might be fabricated how he leaves the team, <laughs> according to HBO. Well, yeah. <laughs> As if there might be something certain true. Liberties with it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say one half of one episode is when this is going to happen. I think halfway through the next episode, we see this guy ushered out and I'm only basing that on there. There's been a bunch of time jumps back and forth and kind of like, let's speed it up and get to the good stuff. Uh, So everyone knows what's coming next. And it was, it was a good episode to, to kind of portray Westhead in the, in the light of like, you're not long for this franchise at all. Like ownership hates you. You're locking yourself in your office. You're afraid of everyone around you and Riles has taken over. So I'm thinking maybe at minute 27 of the next episode (laughs) is when we see it. I think we have together watched like master classes in like the political dynamics of families and organizations from like game of thrones to succession even like the going all the way back to the sopranos and you can already see westhead's no good at it you can just see that he he's he's not he he's alienating people in the organization who need to support him for him to be successful um he's thinking too much about what he deserves in his own mind and that shit gets you in trouble uh and so he's i'm not sure it's just the next 20 minutes but the over-under is definitely under three, in my opinion. He, he'll, he'll be out of here before then, I think. But it was a really great episode. It's a lot of fun. As fake as I'm sure 90% of it is, uh, winning time is, is still pretty entertaining. So, fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that Tammy and I had to chase a bat out of our house this morning. Yeah. With that news that I can relate a lot more to the Joker than before I moved into this really (laughs) old house. I hope you guys have a great week. Let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely.
split a two-game series with a good red hmm. with a good Reds team. God, why can't I say that? Given that list, is this the most improved? God, I can't fucking talk tonight. I know, I know that's the problem. I feel like he's been finishing the top five for two straight seasons, but he's playing the most consistent football right now. So football, because I'm watching this fucking game while we're doing this. Maybe the problem is that he's playing football <laughs> and not golf. And he's just not built for it. He's like 5'8", yeah. 165 yeah. pounds. He's, he's probably getting his ass kicked. Doesn't not break fast. <laughs> anyway. Right. Oh. Well, right. still, what does that matter? What is that? Gerb said, what does that matter? <laughs> um. What was that? Did she just give me the finger? She she, she brushed you off a little bit. Yeah, she gave All you a right. little brush off. Um, you know I'm a logger man. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I was actually uh, in in Mentor today, and on the way back, I was like, oh, "I'm gonna eat coffee." And you had sent that email. I'm like, "Ah, oh, get go. They have beer, but like every Lucy there are like IP, and I, I don't like IPAs. Right, right." Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure I got three IPAs. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is, I'm, I'm saying, no, this is, this says India Pale Ale. She's like, what do you think that means, you idiot? It's an IPA. Oh, jeez. <laughs> she's right. And yeah, she's right yes. to tell you yeah. you're an idiot. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. Whit- Whitney wins this he round. Says you win. You win this round. Every round. Don't get greedy. Oh, you could hear that, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that mic picks up everything, man. Yeah. And they're <laughs> they're huge cans. I got three like yeah. huge cans. Oh. Yeah. But we'll see how they go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One of them's fruit punch. I thought it would be a better tasting IPA. If you had to trade one of them, if you had to trade Gavin Williams or Bybee mm. to get a legitimate power hitter who's going to hit like 280, 35 plus bombs, and over 100 RBIs. Which one would you trade? I think Bybee has the better stuff right now. Yeah. He does. I mean, yeah, he does. For right? sure. But I think if you look at the guy, I think Gavin Williams might be that inning eater. Like, yeah. all right, that guy is going to be a horse for, yeah. for the next eight years. Like Roger Clemensy. Yeah. Big exactly. and burly. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Yep. So if I had to pick one, and I hate because Bobby, man, his stuff is electric. Like, it is, it is amazing. He, he could be a rookie of the year if they care about pitching I for know. rookies. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess if I had to trade one, maybe that. I trade that guy and like cringe as I do it. Yeah. Right. Like, all right, Gavin Williams is that big, like inning eater starter that gets you 15 wins in a season. I think I keep Bybee because I think he looks a lot like Tom Burke at like 15 or 16 years old. Um, This is not an argument. Look at how that's why are we keeping? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it's really tough. That's, That's really tough, man. I and I, yeah. I guess um, I get the gal Gavin Williams looks like that guy, but fuck, Bybee's been so good, so good. Um, yeah. I, I think right. I would, I think I would keep Bybee. If you saw on social media, they did that thing where they, um, 
they combined a video of him throwing a fastball on a curveball. So you could see that the release point was like exactly the same, but then you yeah. could see that the curveball dropped like four and a half feet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that was fucking amazing. Like how, unless you guess right, how do you ever fucking adjust especially to when, that? Especially when his fastball's ninety seven. You know, yeah. it's not like it's yeah. ninety one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this yeah. guy's. I don't know. Uh, That's a great I, question. That's a shit good. question because I don't want I it know, to happen. Right. But um, how about we don't trade either one of them? Well, we're gonna pa- let's go back to me. packaging McKenzie and Bieber. And- yeah yeah, right. yeah yeah for trout that is the second time that's happened on this show Yuck. one year ago i chased a bat out of my house and we talked about it in one of the we did oh, i don't remember yeah, that yeah oh my god it was terrifying oh, it was a huge gosh. bat in my it's little terrifying. house yeah <laughs> it was yeah awful i had to do that years ago Whitney was, she had called me and said, there's a, like screaming, there's a bat. Okay, cool. I'm going to, I'm going to come over and find this bat. Yeah. Call, call the exterminator. Yeah. She had, she had lived with like three or four other girls and there was another dude there. And I'm like, we can figure this out. Right. We're men. (laughs) Look, where's the last, it's the last place you saw it. It's like some giant duplex. (laughs) And we have no clue. We can't find this fucking bat. Yeah, and we, we end yeah up they in can a, hide, man. We end up in a room, walk into it, and you know, like in the door frame. And me and him are kind of talking. I look up, it is hanging upside down in the door frame. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this thing is way bigger in oh, person than I thought it would be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do we do? Um, we got it out. I don't remember how we got it out, but I I was secretly terrified, but we weren't. We were we were together, but not like super serious. And I'm like, I can't shit the bed here. I have to impress her as yeah, a man. You do. <laughs> Fuck, I was terrified, man. I yeah. don't like bats. I'm looking at downtown Montpelier right now. It looks like a scene from uh, Walking Dead. Interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's L- something called downtown Phil's area. One Stop. That's a gas station. Oh. It's not a bar. Damn it. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it'd be cool to hit up a Mount Pelier bar. Man, we might get killed. Just walk in there. No, we wouldn't. No, we we wouldn't. The record player would scratch. Yeah. We'd have to Pee Wee Herman our way out of that thing. (laughs) Loyal Order of the Moose. Fraternal Organization. It's by the airport. So there's an airport. An airport. In Mount Pelier? Really? Maybe we should fly in, Phil. (laughs) <laughs> there we go somehow the flight will take longer than us driving there <laughs> you can only fly prop planes in yeah so there's like, like four hour three flight. there's like three cemeteries in this town this is hey, how there's horror six, movies start six thousand people live there and six thousand people die there wicked whiskers wow. that's a non-profit organization it's got something that a strip cats. club <laughs> it should be so. it should that be not a non-profit <laughs> It really should be a wicked whisker. Whisker should be a strip club. That was great. There, we did it. Midnight. Good. We did it. Just like All old right. times. Just like you guys are wonderful. <laughs> Just like old times. Two yeah, weeks we missed. Ago. We missed it like two yeah. weeks in a row. <laughs> one was at Man. five in the morning. The other one we stopped <laughs> early. You stopped yeah. short, Mister Costanza, Frank. Yeah. 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 All right, quit trying All to right. drag this out, Phil. Yes, sir. No, we're good. I see midnight <laughs> on my clock. All right, boys. All right, awesome, boys. as always. You guys are the best.
All right, guys. Love you guys. Love you, fellas. Love you, boys. What do you mean I'm funny? Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?